You're listening to episode number 17 of the Wellness Real Estate Podcast. Have you heard of the term agrihood before? It's a fairly new concept of neighborhood for many forward-thinking developers across the country. It's a community design bringing people and agriculture together in a suburban setting. It's a fast-growing trend because of all the amazing benefits that it brings to the residents, and I'm super excited today to have one of these forward-thinking developers here on the show. Brian Grover, a resident of Encinitas, California, founded Nolan Communities with the intent of building communities that encourage placemaking, interaction, and a sense of community that we have lost by virtue of how housing projects and communities have been built in the past 40 to 50 years. He's recently proposed developing an agrihood in his hometown, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with where Encinitas is located, it's a beach town in North San Diego County. The new development is a 21-acre site that contained a commercial greenhouse and, or many commercial greenhouses, and one single-family home surrounded by suburban residential communities. And he's proposed a new agrihood called Fox Point Farms that was unanimously approved by City Council and is scheduled to be completed in late 2023. As a real estate agent, it's important to stay on top of the development trends. Wellness real estate developments are one of those fast-growing trends worth talking about with your clients. Not only does it provide you an easy, free-flowing conversation that are topics that are still about real estate, it positions you as a forward-thinking agent who understands where real estate of the future is headed. So let's get to this interview with Brian. You're going to learn all about the components of this exciting new community called Fox Point Farms. Let's grow. Welcome to the Real Estate Marketing Podcast, where we explore a unique strategy no one is talking about that will enable you to engage more people with authentic conversations about your business more often. And it's called Wellness Real Estate. Not sure what that is or how it can help you as an agent? Well, that's what this podcast is all about. In fact, Wellness Real Estate is growing so rapidly that it is projected to be nearly $870 billion by 2027. I'm Sheila Alston, and I'm your host. I'm also the founder of Healthy Home Media, where I help agents all over the country leverage this new trend in the industry to spark new conversations that will get people to listen to you and notice your brand. So if you're tired of spinning your wheels without any leads or sales to show for it, then stay tuned. I guarantee this podcast is not like any you've heard before. Welcome to the Wellness Real Estate Podcast. So hello, Brian. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to learn more about Fox Point Farms. But before we go there, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the story of how you came up with the, the concept. Yeah, sure. So um, my company is Nolan Communities, and we started uh, just right around five years ago. Um, and prior to that, I had been working as a consultant with a lot of developers, uh, mostly here in San Diego. And a couple of the um, you know projects that I had been working on at the time were starting to get a little more um, you know a little more creative than your typical suburban development project. You know, 150 units, and here's a park, and boom, let's get it approved and build houses. They were starting to be a little more creative, a little more interested in placemaking. I think because they saw that the uh, market was starting to demand those things. And one of those yeah. projects was uh, called North River Farms in Oceanside. It's yeah. still going through the motions. I think you and I had talked about that on yeah. our last call. But I was a consultant on that project for eight years at the time. Um, wow. And so I, you know, I, I thought this is a this is a really, really cool concept. 
um, you know, some of the uh, some of the folks that they had brought into that team, uh, like the Ecology Center. They were working with uh, the folks who did Rancho Mission Viejo. Mm-hmm. It was just a really cool process, and and honestly, a breath of fresh air for me to see a developer interested in creating, you know, an on-site farm and a brewery mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things that you don't normally see in these master planned, you know, generally boring communities. So that's sort of where a light bulb went off in my head. Um, you know, hey, I'd really like to, to do one of these myself. And um, maybe we'll talk later, later during this about just my general motivations for starting Nolan Communities. Yeah. Um, which were, you know, to summarize, kind of expanding upon what what developers do today and trying to, you know, take it to the next level, uh, knowing that that consumers want that. And um, so anyway, that, that's a long winded way of saying I worked on a project or two back in the day that I saw going in this direction and I decided to take it, you know, five steps further with this project. Yeah, no, I love it because it's exactly what the community needs too. I know you mentioned something about placemaking. What does that mean to you? Yeah, good question. So our our company, uh, Nolan Communities, is named after John Nolan. John Nolan mm-hmm. was a planner back in the early 1900s, and I'm a I'm a planning dork. I got my yeah. master's degree in in urban planning and urban design and real estate development. So mm-hmm. I know all these, you know, Jane Jacobs and John Nolan and all these. Uh, you know, people that you learn about who were, um, you know, movers and shakers back in the day from a planning standpoint. So John Nolan's big thing was placemaking. He, he mm-hmm. did the original plan for downtown San Diego. He did the original plan for Balboa Park, for the mm-hmm. Embarcadero. And his big thing was, you know, okay, you've got people living here and people living here and you've got, um, you know, transportation corridors here, here and here. Where's the sense of place? How do you connect all of that? And Mm -hmm. especially nowadays with higher density housing projects um, kind of becoming the standard as we move away from the suburban sprawl of post-war suburbia, Mm -hmm. uh, placemaking becomes much more important. If you live in a little 1200 square foot, um, you know, apartment or condo or townhome or whatever it might be, where do you go outside to kick a soccer ball with your kid? Where do you go play catch? Where do you go interact with with your neighbors? Where do you do things outside of the four walls of your house? That's mm-hmm. generally, um, you know, what we view as as placemaking, and that's uh, part and parcel to our business model at Nolan. Yeah, I love it because really, like you were mentioning, the post-war era. I mean, everybody was building these homes where we're kind of sequestered to ourselves, and we're not encouraged to make friends or interact with our neighbors, and it makes it a lonely place to be right (laughs) yeah no and that's I I I forget if you and I had talked about this um you know a couple months ago when we first chatted but one of the things that I like to talk about a lot Mm -hmm. is uh like the generational shift in the way that like my parents were raised versus Mm -hmm. the way that I was raised versus the way that my children are, are going to be raised and um you know commensurate with that the values that we have, the desires that we have, the way that we, um, you know, desire to live. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really interesting to look at, like my parents, for example, their view of success, uh, especially when I was growing up, was having a big house for us to grow up in, having a backyard that we could play in. 
And, you know, there was that whole keeping up with the Joneses type of thing also. Mm -hmm. Oh, the neighbor just got a, you know, a Mercedes. We can't, we can't afford a Mercedes, but that's, you know, something that yeah. we're thinking about, you know, like why <laughs> we need, uh, we need yeah. to keep up. And that's largely that, that generation who grew up in the fifties and the sixties and even the early seventies, they, they think like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think our gener, my generation, um, and, and generations uh, that are growing up right now are almost the opposite. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want private backyards. I don't want a private pool. I don't want, you know, all these things for myself. Mm -hmm. I want community. I want a place. I want to live in a place where I can do things with my neighbors, where my kids can play with my neighbor's kids, where we have a communal pool, a communal farm, a communal this, a communal that sort of going back to how people used to live a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's just so interesting to me. And one of the things that we are doing with Fox Point Farms is it, we're, we're kind of like, it's a social experiment, right? We're doing a lot of things in that project where we take the backyard and we put it in the front and we take the front yard and we put it in the back. We don't have fences where, where homes would normally have fences. Everything mm -hmm. is open. If you want to go, you know, uh, play catch with with your kid, you're going to have to go where other people will be. You don't have a private space to do that. And the types of people that we expect to want to live in this community um, embrace that, myself mm -hmm. included, and my family. So um, it just the whole social component of this is really, really interesting to me. And, and I think uh, in the real estate development community, which is, um, you know, my profession, so many people just focus on we need this many bedrooms, we need this mm -hmm. many square feet, you need a roof, you need a garage, you know, families typically have this many cars, so we need, you know, that's how a lot of people think, and to actually introduce the social component of it, you know, what would happen if we took away the fences in the front yard, what would happen if we took the backyard and put it <laughs> in the front, and oh people my. are going to lose it, you know, when people yeah. come walk our models in, in six months, some people I think are going to realize that it's not a fit for them um, mm -hmm. because they value that privacy. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what I'm talking about with generational shifts and all that, that's just speaking in, in generalities. There mm -hmm. are, there are younger folks who still want private space and I totally respect that. It's just not mm -hmm. something that we can offer um, with this community. So it'll be really interesting once people start moving in and start learning how to live in a community like this. Well, it's interesting just because you're shaking it up and it's going to be nice to have a different alternative for people that are wanting something different, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, and you're considered a wellness community. I don't know if you know, have you heard about wellness real estate? I know we talked a little bit about it, but um, agri-hoods are considered to be a, a, a wellness development because you're intentionally bringing these components. They're going to bring about um, kind of more holistic living component to the res to the residents from the planning and the uh, initial you know design of the whole development you're not just adding a pool and then saying <laughs> that it's supporting a healthy lifestyle you've got a whole bunch of design elements included in the planning so I'm excited to learn more about this so tell us more about Fox Point Farms how many homes sure. Yeah, so Fox Point Farms is, uh, it's under construction right now. Uh, we mm -hmm. just finished demolition of the uh, greenhouses that were on the site, and we are starting grading in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, it's 250 homes. Um, 
all for sale with the exception of 40 homes, which will be rentals. So 210 mm -hmm. for sale, 40 rentals. The rentals are all deed restricted at the very low income category. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we, I think we have, we have more than 20 different floor plans. And those range from, you know, some smaller kind of uh, like junior one bedroom studio type of units mm -hmm. um, that are right around 700 square feet, 740 square feet, all the way up to 1600 square foot, three bed, three bath, two car garage, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and again, going back to that social aspect that I was talking about a few minutes ago, we have been very deliberate in creating living situations where you can have, um, you know, multi-generational living, you mm -hmm. can have aging in place, and most importantly, um, a diversity of, of home buyers of, of, you know, members of our community. So an example would be, uh, we have these cottage units, there's 20 of them along the western uh, portion of the site, those are our biggest homes, mm -hmm. um, detached two-story cottage units. Mm -hmm. And right behind them is the garage for the cottage unit, as well as a what would traditionally be a granny flat on top. And you see that all the time here, you know, accessory mm -hmm. dwelling units. Uh, in some cases, accessory dwelling units are on top of uh, the garage for the main unit. But what we've done is we've created those as separate condos. So you can buy both of them and or you can buy one of them and then you can have a complete stranger living in the other unit. And, mm -hmm. and there's, there's private spaces for both of those um, and private garages. So the granny flat would have one car garage. The main home would have a two car garage. They're right mm -hmm. next to each other, but they're their own spaces. Mm -hmm. um, but you could also have, you know, two kids or one kid living in the granny flat and the parents living in the cottage unit or vice versa. You could have, mm -hmm. um, you know, like for my situation, for example, my wife and I and our, our baby girl are going to be living in the cottage unit. And fingers crossed, um, she yeah. doesn't fully know yet, but my mother-in-law really wants to move <laughs> and we intend for her to live, um, you know, in the, in the carriage unit uh, right mm -hmm. behind us. Um, so that's just an example that there's so many different ways that you can spin that though. And that's just for two product types that we have. We also yeah. have um, quite a few townhomes. We have mm -hmm. some townhomes that front the farm. We have some townhomes internal. Um, we also have flats. So for, for folks who don't really need the direct access to the garage, um, it's more of like an apartment style of living where you're on a one level flat, but you do have your own private garage space and you walk through a corridor and get into your, into your unit. Some of those front um, in this space right behind me here, mm -hmm. uh, which is our ag amenity area, which is where you can go and throw a ball and kick a soccer ball and watch a bluegrass concert on a Friday night or watch a, watch a kid's movie on a Saturday night or just go lay down a towel and, and read a book. Um, you know, we have some really cool units, uh, these ones right here, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, um, you know, you'll have a different type of home buyer for all these types of homes. And, and again, that was very intentional. And if you look at a lot of these other master plan communities, they're, even though they have several different product types, you get a very mm -hmm. clear demographic moving into all of those homes. Yeah. This community is for starter families. This community is for empty nesters. This community mm -hmm. is, you know, all apartments. It's for young tech entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Fox Point is for anyone. 
I, I've had I've had a lot of people calling me um, who are now on our interest list saying, I live in a living Hain or I live in the county or I live in Elfin Forest or whatever it might be in a 5,000 square foot house. I live the way that you have designed this community. I have my own community garden, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Just finished college and this house is way too big. I want yeah. to move into a you know two bedroom, one bath place. And you guys offer exactly what I want. So I think we're going to have, you know, it, it's not set on um, a certain demographic. I think we're going to have a lot of folks, a lot of baby boomers moving in. Um, we'll probably have a whole contingent of folks that love golf. And we've got the golf course right across the street. Yeah. It's That's really wonderful. hard to say, but yeah. Well, and I see that you have sidewalks. So maybe you can talk about, because it looks like you've planned this community to incorporate things to get people outside. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Sure, yeah, so we have, um, I guess the, the biggest, the biggest um, community feature that we have from a walkability standpoint is we have a loop trail that goes around the entire property. Mm -hmm. I forget the, it's maybe like a mile, mile and a half total. Uh, goes around the farm, it goes past our animal enclosure where we have our goats and our chickens and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have, a lot of corridors internally um, going along our amenity spaces. So where we have our internal community gardens, there's paths on both sides of that. Uh, we have a dog park on site. The loop trail goes right past the dog park. So, um, you know, it, where I live, for example, when, when I go to walk the dog or go for a run or go for a walk with my family uh, in the evenings at sunset, whatever it might be, we walk out of our community and mm -hmm. we just walk around the larger neighborhood. In mm -hmm. here, you can do that. You can go walk the, there's really nice trails going around uh, NCS Ranch Golf Course, uh, but you can also just walk within your community and, um, you know, there, there's quite a bit going on. You can grab, mm -hmm. a, grab a coffee at the, at the farm stand. You can do a, a couple loops around the loop trail and then go get dinner at our restaurant on site. You can do a couple loops around and then go uh, feed the goats. Um, you can watch sunset over the Magdalena Eki Preserve. There, there's just, there's enough going on in the community that you don't really have to be drawn outside of it. And again, that, that also was very intentional. And the space that you see behind me here, uh -huh. you know, our community green where we would have these movies and these, um, you know, bands playing and events and all of that. Uh, that's another, you know, you don't have to get in your car and leave our community and go to a park. We have a mm -hmm. park. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I, I, I'm also, a, I mentioned earlier, I'm a planning junkie. And so multimodal transportation, getting people out of their cars, keeping people from having to do all of these trips to these places is, is pretty important to me from a planning and urban design and placemaking standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think with our Sorry, you asked a question about sidewalks and I've sort of gone full circle. No, it's wonderful <laughs> because you're getting people outside to walk on the sidewalk. It's not just sidewalks, you know, um, and, and they have a place to walk to. You mentioned the coffee stand in the restaurant um, and yep. the farm. Are they going to be able to access the farm to like buy, you know, vegetables? Yes. Yeah. So we have a five and a half acre farm. Um, and what we're going to do there, it, it's going to be commercially run. So the, the residents don't go in there and do their own farming. We have a separate community garden um, closer to the residential units that will be for that purpose. Um, mm -hmm. But the farm will be a, a full commercial farm production. 
uh, regenerative, uh, organic, you know, the whole nine yards. We'll have chickens on site uh, that are regenerating the soil. Those chickens are also going to be laying eggs. We're going to be putting those eggs in our CSA boxes for residents. We're also going to be using those eggs in the restaurant. We're also going to be using those chickens in the restaurant. We're going to be using all the produce in the restaurant. So it's all, the more we can keep that on site and internal, um, the better. It, this mm-hmm. is intended to be a community farm for this community and for Encinitas Ranch. Uh, we don't intend to do any distribution um, and we are trying to minimize the amount of things that we pull in for the restaurant. So um, anyway, uh, another full circle way of answering your question, but the short answer is yes, all of the produce grown on the farm will be available at our farm stand, um, just mm-hmm. like you would buy produce at a, at a grocery store, um, only our grocery store is much smaller. And it's also available in CSA boxes where you can get you know, every two weeks or every three weeks, you can, you can be part of our CSA program or you can just go to the restaurant and um, you know eat farm fresh food while you're looking at the farm where that food came from. And That's you know, so I've cool. seen a lot of the this this whole farm to table, um, you know, I don't know what you would call it trend, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, which is very cool by the way. I, I love yeah. that, that all these restaurants are sourcing locally and all that. But I've, I've yet to see um, you know this application where you actually have farm to table on site. The farm is visible from mm-hmm. the table. Um, there's a couple places down in Valle Guadalupe that have done a pretty good job of that, but um, even those, their farms are pretty small, and it's usually f- like an herb garden or microgreens mm-hmm. or something like that. It's not the bulk of what they're selling uh, and what they're feeding you at their restaurant. And so we're trying to do something unique. Yeah, well, it is unique because most of these big commercial farms are. Just- so far out nobody is wanting to live that far out but Encinitas is near the beach I mean how many miles away from you from the beach are you uh oh that's a good question I should know the answer I want to say a mile and a half two miles yeah not far at all that's amazing um so is the restaurant going to be available to people that don't live in in Fox Point Farms (laughs) is it going to be open to the public Yep. Yeah. So this whole area that you see behind me, um, that Uh that community green, the restaurant, the farm stand, um, access to the farm through guided tours, all of that is available to anyone, the public, um, residents of Fox Point, whoever it might be. Okay. So it's not going to be a gated community. Oh, no, no, no. Don't get me (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's wonderful. Um, So you mentioned a little bit when you worked on those other projects that there was... um, you worked on it for many years. And I know that some of that is because the neighboring residents maybe have had wanted their say in uh, the planning. Did you come across any, you know, neighboring, um, I guess, neighbors that had negative feedback about this community? Or did you have to make changes to kind of make people happy? Yeah, <laughs> good, good question. Um, Yes, we, we, we did. There, there's an existing neighborhood called Fox Point immediately west mm-hmm. of our community. And um, I guess to take a step back, what, one of the things that I've learned in this line of business uh, as a developer, and you know, the, the name developer immediately has a negative connotation. Um, and I don't know when that started, but I'm also not debating. Um, you know, I, I think it's generally for good reason. Developers are Mm -hmm. viewed as outside money coming in, 
that just wants to, you know, plow some property and put up sticks and bricks. And um, they usually don't have a lot of regard for community character, aesthetics, fitting into the existing fabric, mm-hmm. uh, those types of things. So I, I understand the sentiment. It's just something that whenever I go into a project, um, you know, people usually hate me right off the bat. And, and that was <laughs> definitely the case with, with this community of Fox Point. Um, and, and they, they were just fearful. Um, mm-hmm. and, and some of them still are. But uh, I'm happy to say that, you know, over this four-ish year process, um, I've become pretty good friends with, with a lot of them. Um, they've learned to cautiously trust me. You know, they give me a little bit longer leash every week, every month. And, um, you know, so long as I'm showing good faith on my side of the table, they show good faith on their side. And, you know, I think this project was a really good example of how you, how you can work um, you know, positively with a community and answer their questions, give them the things we, we did. We made so many changes to our project based on input from the community, but we drew a line of, um, you know, for example, one of the things that a couple of uh, those, those neighbors were asking for was a six foot tall cinder block wall along the Western part of our property because they wanted to be completely separate. And mm. I, we drew a line there. We said, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna do that. That's not what this community is about. This is about inclusivity and connectedness. Mm-hmm. You wanna be connected to your neighborhood, not completely walled off, not mm-hmm. gonna do that. But other things that they wanted like privacy landscaping because we were adding in a trail and you know, some of the neighbors had concerns about our residents you know, being able to see into their backyards and into their, their bedrooms and things like that. Those are totally valid concerns. And so we respected those and, um, you know, adapted our plan accordingly. Um, so anyway, the long and short of it is, yes, a lot of the neighbors were very fearful and frustrated and upset when we approached them about this project. But now um, I'd say there's maybe three or four neighbors who are still just upset and most everybody else is excited to see this done and wants to come visit and wants to yeah. walk around on our trails and come <laughs> to our farm stand and come yeah. see our animals and come to the restaurant. So, um, yeah. And be I'm able to walk to a restaurant instead of driving to a restaurant, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So That's amazing. It's, I'm happy with how all of that turned out and it, it took a lot of effort, but it was, uh, it was well worth it. Well, because what was existing there was a huge greenhouse. It's like 21 acres. Is that what you said? And it was a giant, it was a commercial greenhouse operation that was there before. Correct. Yeah. So some people might think, you know, it's agriculture. You're taking away the agriculture. And what did you have? What is your response to that? Yeah. So there's, um, this came up at some of our early city council hearings when, when we had proposed this agrihood concept, mm-hmm. um, and there's, there's a common misconception, I would say, among the public and among decision mm-hmm. makers that agriculture and open space are the same thing. Mm-hmm. We, we were butting up against that quite frequently. Um, and then there's another misconception that commercial agriculture is some sort of, um, you know, like asset to a neighborhood. And, and our, this property was a great example. If, if I asked nine out of 10 neighbors would say, 
we've never even seen inside those greenhouses. We don't know mm -hmm. what's being grown there. We don't know what it looks like inside. It's a private property, it's fenced off. Mm -hmm. We don't interact with that agriculture. And that's mm -hmm. just, a, I mean, nine out of 10 is being conservative. I, mm -hmm. Only people who have been in there are, um, you know, people who knew the, the prior owner or people who were going to buy flowers commercially. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a big struggle for us, this notion that, you know, a commercial agricultural flower growing operation is the same as a public park. Mm -hmm. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Never been to this site because right. it's a commercial, almost semi-industrial operation, right? There's semi-trucks here all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and so anyway, um, it, it took a while to explain the difference between that type of agriculture and what we are building now. And what, what you are building, building now is, is going to give them access to it. Community-based, community-driven mm -hmm. agriculture. You can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can interact with it, you can volunteer on the farm. It's, it's completely different. And, and I think that's what, when people say, we want to preserve our agriculture, I think that's the type of agriculture that they're picturing, right? Mm -hmm. Some pretty... Mm -hmm. um, you know, kale and leafy greens and tomatoes in, mm -hmm. in a field with sun shining down on them. That's not the reality of commercial agriculture, especially <laughs> in the United States today. We, we are barely, you know, on these smaller farms, um, we're barely competing with other countries. And that's why all these, that's why all these farms are going away. The cost of labor mm -hmm. has, has skyrocketed. Um, we can't really compete. And so the only way that I think you can sustain these smaller farms in the way that people want them sustained um, is by adding in housing, a restaurant, a farm stand, programming the farm, right? Mm -hmm. Build in the buyers uh, mm -hmm. and, and you can make it work. Well, and so I wonder, I mean, what an amazing opportunity for the little children that get to live in this neighborhood, right? To just kind of go back to our roots, maybe about how our grandkids were raised, or I mean, our grandparents were raised a long, long time ago where they knew their neighbors and they just played in the neighborhood and there's farm fresh food. And are you gonna have an education component where they get to learn about growing food um, at the farm or a center like that at all? Yes, yeah, of course. So um, when, when, you started, uh, when you started that question, it made me think, you know, I, I have a little six month old daughter Mm -hmm. And uh, watching watching how kids have been growing up over the last five, 10 years with Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and whatever else, you know, there is out basically just being on, on an iPad. Mm -hmm. I know that's a big concern for parents who are raising kids now. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out the type of world that, that my daughter is going to grow up in 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And it scares the shit out of me, you know, <laughs> going to be in the metaverse what is the right. just going to be in, like in this virtual world with goggles on sitting in their rooms all day right and that that is very scary and i think it's a it's unfortunately a reality and so um you know a they lot might be things, they, sorry to interrupt but they might have their goggles on picturing a farm and seeing no, what it's like it, to grow exactly right right yeah. oh my gosh one of my best friends uh every summer He's a professional photographer and he goes up to the San Juan Islands and mm -hmm. he works for Oculus and he is creating, you know, this virtual experience with, um, 
you know, with killer whales so that oh. in the virtual world, people who, and there are positive, and sorry, I'm getting off yeah. way on the yeah. tangent here, but I'll That's bring okay. it back. Um, there are people who just can't go and experience those things for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Mm -hmm. So there is a positive aspect to doing this, um, mm -hmm. you know, allowing older folks to be able to just virtually experience these things that they otherwise wouldn't see. Mm -hmm. But it's also a scary reality that is coming very soon. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that my daughter and, and a lot of other people's children are going to be growing up in this brave new world, how do we how do we bring back some of the some of the positive things about, as you said, the way that our grandparents and great grandparents were raised, which was basically mm -hmm. on a community farm, you know, mm -hmm. if you trace back to the 1800s and even the early 1900s what we're building here is is the way that everybody just lived mm -hmm. <laughs> you had to grow your own food you had to rely on other people you had to help other people um so anyway yes that is a large part of my motivation in this and you'll see that in in a lot of aspects of the community being a, a new father um there's a lot of focus on education for for younger children Mm -hmm. and education for adults um sometimes adults need more education than children <laughs> but um there is a big component of that we are partnering up with uh, with local nonprofits. we're partnering up with the coastal roots farm just down the street from us uh we're partnering up with rob machado foundation just partnerships all over the place to encourage education well it's wonderful because little kids are the best i mean if you show them uh vegetables and want them to eat it they might not eat it but if you help have them grow the vegetable and teach them and they're looking at it they're going to want to try it it's the easiest way to get kids to eat vegetables <laughs> yep and, and the irony about that is if you teach kids the value of healthy eating and mm -hmm. you know growing locally and you know sustaining a hyper local food system they'll go home and they'll teach their parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the parents who just think it's easier to make the chicken nuggets and just fries and not any vegetables, if the kids are asking for it, of course, then they'll make a healthy meal. It's going to push them to be a little bit healthier too. And walk me over to Joey's house that's down the street, you know, okay. And then they're walking, you know, and walking exactly. the dogs and things. That's yeah, and, and, you know, I, I don't think, I think that we have a, a pretty people who move into a community like this are, are mm -hmm. largely going to be drawn to it because of the way we've designed it. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I, I, I hope that we get, um, you know, a, a few residents and even members of the public that come visit our farm and visit our, our farm stand and our restaurant that, you know, do go to McDonald's and buy chicken nugget meals. And that's just, that's how they are so that we can, you know, help the pendulum shift. Mm -hmm. um, having a bunch of like-minded people in the community that are like, yep, I already do that. I already do that. We're not really mm -hmm. changing anything. We're just mm -hmm. inhibiting the behavior that they already had. Um, mm -hmm. So it'll be really cool to get some folks in here and watch their behavior shift, hopefully. Well, yeah. And I don't know the stats behind these studies, but I know that I've heard them before that multi-generational living and just being, you know, everybody's been segmented. Like you said, here's the elderly home, you know, where it can be really quiet and all the, you know, um, people over 55 can live a certain area. And then the single family homes are all the, the kids with young families live there. I mean, I just feel like bringing everybody together allows people to just connect more with different ways of thinking and different ways of living and you can support each other much more and 
the growing population or the, uh, the growing older population just has, I think, a little bit more support instead of just feeling like they're left out and nobody cares about them anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, and uh, we, we, we have thousands of people on our interest list at this point and a, a good amount of, of folks who have signed up and who have reached out to me are either retired or near retirement. Um, I mentioned empty nesters. Mm -hmm. And you know they a lot of these people have, have the means to kind of live wherever they want, live in a larger mm -hmm. house, uh, in a you know, detached home instead of attached housing. But they're so drawn to this sense of community that mm -hmm. that they don't have at all right in that large mm -hmm. house out in Olivenhain or in Rancho Santa mm -hmm. Fe or whatever they're completely isolated and mm -hmm. and you know if there's no kids in the house or if there's no family surrounding you you want community mm -hmm. to you know be that family and mm -hmm. so I, I think that's you know a lot of them want to volunteer they're asking how can I help how can I volunteer on the farm can I help you with this here's what I did in my past life can mm -hmm. some element of that be applicable to what you're doing here? Um, you know, they, they just want to be a part of it. And that's that makes all of the last five years of, you know, hard work and, um, you know, really tough process getting this project uh, approved by the city and, and getting residents to understand what we were doing. It makes it all worthwhile to hear people kind of validate what we've um, what we've envisioned, and I really can't wait until they're out there experiencing it in real time. Well, yeah, and I think it's perfect timing. I mean, with this pandemic and everybody being isolated in their homes and not being able to be around people, we do really, I think people now really do understand how important community is to them and how important it is to get together with other people and friends. You miss that if you're just sequestered in isolation, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we've been doing it to ourselves for many, many years and just not realizing it, you know. Um, when my kids were little and we went, we sent them to school, I remember the principal when my oldest was in kindergarten and, you know, there were all these parents asking about the curriculum, you know, for kindergarten, like really. Um, cause they're <laughs> thinking about college when the kids are in kindergarten <laughs> and wanting to make sure that they have all these, you know, special, um, that they're going to be learning the right things to get them into the college of their dreams. And I remember the principal saying, you know, we have all that, but what you're going to find that when your kid graduates after eighth grade, that they are going to, what you're going to love most about this school is the sense of community. And it's not what really people talk about, but it is. And, um, you know, when you do have young kids, it's a perfect chance for you to make friends with all the parents of the other kids. But as the kids get older, it's hard to have community unless you meet people at work or unless you meet people, um, you know, I don't, in, if you're involved in other uh, associations and things like that, it is hard to make friends. So this is a wonderful opportunity, I think, for people to get to know the people that they live near and I think that there's studies um, that have shown that people will stay if they have friends near, you know, they won't yeah. want to move. So, yeah, no, again, going back to the, you know, the whole social component that I mentioned earlier in our, in our discussion, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, I, right now for the last uh, 15 years, I've lived in high density um, housing in a town home. Uh, I don't have a front porch. I don't have a backyard. And so, you know, I'm kind of drawing on my own experiences of how, how do I interact with people in my community, right? The, mm -hmm. the only way that I directly interact with people in my community is 
when I'm when I've got my garage door open and I'm mm -hmm. working on my bike or you know doing something with my surfboards or getting my camping mm -hmm. gear ready for my next trip and my other neighbor opens their garage door and it's like oh wow okay let's I've never Hi. met you let's talk and yeah you know that that's sort of that's a byproduct of this this post-war suburban you know creating all these private spaces like why is that the only opportunity for us to get mm -hmm. to know our neighbors it's just mm -hmm. poor design really mm -hmm. and so um you know and, and where i live currently the only community amenity we have is a pool area and so when you're there you meet people but Otherwise, it's just by happenstance, right? You're mm -hmm. out on a walk, you bump into one of your neighbors, you think you saw them driving in when they were coming home from work. So you're like, hey, are you my neighbor? You know, it's just this very, you almost have to really seek it. Mm -hmm. um, and again, with with projects like Fox Point Farms and, and even some of the other projects that we're doing at Nolan, it's trying to not make that a forced experience. It just happens. You mm -hmm. can't you can't not know your neighbors in a community like this. If you're sitting on your front porch of your house, your neighbors yeah. are literally walking past you. You don't have that sense of privacy that you would have in another setting. If you're grilling, your grill isn't in your backyard. It doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. Your grill's in your front yard. And all your neighbors are going to be walking past you saying, oh, where'd you get that? Smells really good. You know, whatever it might be. Your yeah. kids are playing out front. They're not playing out back. Yeah. So um, all these little all these little nuances are, um, you know, I think really important to breaking uh, what we've been doing for the last 30 or 40 years from a uh, land development standpoint and getting back to the way our great grand grandparents and their great grandparents lived communally. Well, I interviewed um, Garni Nigren from Serenby and yeah. Um, that was one of the very first agrihoods. And she said that they don't even plan stuff for the weekend because they literally know that they're going to go on a walk and they're going to run into so-and-so who's going to invite them to so-and-so, you know, do this. And she says, they're so busy every single weekend with fun <laughs> things to do. And it's never planned. It's just, it unfolds naturally because of the friends that they have in the community. People want to stay in the community, all the you know, the amenities that they've created in that community. It's like a little village. It's so, it's so cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And but one of the things um, I, you talking about Serenby for some reason reminded me of this, um, going to school, right? Mm -hmm. in, in communities mm -hmm. like this, all the kids usually go to the same school, same mm -hmm. elementary school, same middle school, same high school mm -hmm. um, before they go off to college. And usually you just see a long string of cars going to the same school. We mm -hmm. have, as part of Fox Point Farms, we have a school bus that uh, oh. just for our community, and it takes all of our kids to school. And in addition to that, we're going to have a, a it's called a walking school bus, where you basically have parent liaisons, um, you know, taking kids on foot or on bike to school. The school's uh, a little over a mile away. It's right down the yeah. street safe streets, no arterials. So yeah, little things like that, right? Um, you know, it, it cuts down on autom automobile trips, but it also, you know, gets those kids together in a way uh -huh. that kids used to always take the bus to school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but that, yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. So. <laughs> you just um, see a line, a long line of parents just waiting to pick up. Yeah. That's no, amazing. And, and, and Serenby, you mentioned Serenby. That's a great, um, obviously we studied Serenby extensively as mm -hmm. uh, one of the first agrihoods that was, that was developed. And the original farmer there, Farmer D, Darren Jaffe, uh, was our consultant in our farm design. 
He used to live oh, here in Encinitas. He just moved back to Serenby actually uh, oh, did he? a year ago. And so he's living there with his family. But we, we learned a lot from the Serenby experience. That's great. Well, I'm so excited. What do, where do people go if they want to learn more about Fox Point Farms? Um, you can go to our website, which mm -hmm. is nolancommunities.com, N-O-L-E-N. Okay. And then on our website, there's a little button in the upper right-hand corner that says interested. And if you click on that, that'll get you on our interest list. If anybody wants to just learn more about the project and see some of our renderings and that type of stuff, uh, you can just go to our projects page on our website and you'll see mm -hmm. Fox Point Farms. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Okay, well, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for telling us all about Fox Point Farms. I'm really excited to see it. When is it going to be completed and ready? Uh, so we are starting vertical construction in July is our current mm -hmm. schedule. I'm going to try to beat that, but uh, that that's that's what we're currently planning on is starting vertical construction in July. I would imagine that our first home sales and first occupancy will be uh, right around this time next year, maybe a little bit earlier next winter. Okay. Okay. 2023. Yep. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much, Brian. It was such a great conversation and I just loved everything that you said and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, no, thank you. After so many years of, uh, you know, pushing papers around, it's really nice to get to finally talk about the community. Yeah, now you have a little girl that gets to live there. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Perfect. No, it's been okay. a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions or if you have any follow-up questions, I'm happy to answer them. Yeah, we'll be featuring you in the magazine um, in April. And I will be putting this on both um, podcasts that I have, the one for real estate agents and the one for uh, that's blooming a healthy home by design. Okay. Thank you so Very much. Cool. Okay. So much. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you learned something new that will inspire you to think about your branding and how you can market yourself a little differently. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to love what I have for you because you don't need to wait to go get extra certifications or to grow and expand your network to get started attracting those new leads right now. You can simply begin by talking about wellness real estate trends and what you've learned on this podcast with others. I mean, this is pretty interesting stuff that no one has heard about, and I have all the tools that can make it even easier for you. Wellness Real Estate Magazine is a brand new wellness lifestyle magazine, and it's the only magazine that brings health and home together. We educate readers on industry trends and how to create a healthier home environment, written by industry experts around the country. And we have three covers to choose from, Wellness RE, Healthy Home, and Wellness at Home, so you can easily find one that aligns with your unique brand and messaging. These magazines are the perfect done-for-you tools that help you not only stay top of mind, but they educate and engage your audience, which positions you as an industry expert. Differentiate yourself and grow your brand the easy way. Learn more at HealthyHomeMedia.com.